2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We've been going through a, se- a series on, uh, through 2 Corinthians, and we're going to look at 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 6 today. And then we'll, we'll leave that for Easter next Sunday, and we'll come back to it um, the following Sunday. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, and it says this. Therefore, have this ministry by the mercy of God. We do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Holy Father, Lord, thanks for your word. Lord, thanks again for another week. Lord, just thanks for your grace. Lord, thanks for the hope that we can have in you. Lord, thanks for this day, as Palm Sunday, as we remember what you are about to do and what you went through this coming week, the ministry that you had, that you gave for us. And Lord, I pray this morning, the Holy Spirit, you just encourage us with your word. You would comfort us with your word. You would instruct us and open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things from your word. Lord, pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. He says, therefore, in verse 1. How far back do you go with the therefore of your life? I mean, how far back do you go with a therefore? We, we all have a therefore. That's, we, we all have something. We're all, we, if you sit and evaluate how you ended up where you are, there, there's a therefore. How far do you trace that? Back, I, I was sitting with somebody even just yesterday um, and talking to them about their life, and we basically the whole conversation was this. Therefore, this is how I ended up in this situation right now. As they discussed all these situations that had happened to them in the past that made up the therefore, which just means for, for that reason. When you see the therefore, a bunch of stuff happened before, so that he's about to say for that reason. And a, a, a therefore in the word, is, it's like a magnifying glass that just takes a big idea and zooms in to the importance of the aspect of it. And that's what Paul is about ready to do with this therefore. But how far back can we take that therefore? In, in the context of 2 Corinthians, we could take it back to chapter 3, which then you could take it back to other therefores that he has given it. But in this morning, in the light of Palm Sunday, I think you could take that therefore that he's about ready to talk about with ministry all the way back to Palm Sunday when Jesus is riding in to Jerusalem. And particularly at the end of that, that Hannah just read, where Jesus came in, he's looking over Jerusalem, and he weeps over it. And the, the, the word in that picture 
of weeping that was used. It wasn't like he just had this hidden sniffles. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem and he looked and oversaw the city that he had visited many, many times. He'd seen it many times. He'd been there many times. He loved Jerusalem. He went up with his family for the festivities and, and, and the, all, all the times. And he, he got to it. He looks over it. And the word that they used for his weeping was just this, this gushing, sobbing, ugly cry. Everybody saw it. He just literally was broken for Jerusalem for what they didn't see and for what they couldn't see. That is, that his life and what was about to take place in that next week is as uncomfortable as it was going to be, mattered and would matter for them. And he wept over it. And at the same time, there was this guy named Saul walking around the area as a Pharisee who didn't see it either who didn't care at all what Jesus was about to go through. But as time went through and many things happened, Paul saw who Jesus was. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, his whole life became wrapped up about it. And so he could say, therefore, it looked like a wave of weakness when Jesus, if you would have saw him sitting on a donkey, coming up to Jerusalem, sobbing, it looked like a wave of weakness. But the reality is it was a tsunami about ready to take place of good news, of, of gospel, of gospel ministry. And if you ever wondered then, if this is true, if what we say about Jesus is true, and, and who he is, why don't people believe it? Why, why, don't people, why do people walk away from the gospel? If, if what this, the gospel is, as we know it, if it's, if it's true, as we know it is, why, why don't people believe it? And why do people walk away from it? And then why do some people, who you never think will believe it, why do they believe it? And Paul explains in 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 6, that everything that Jesus did, therefore, matters to his ministry today. And he gives in this passage reasons for why people don't believe, why people walk away from the gospel, and why some believe. And so he says, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, he has been under attack, he's been criticized, he's been uh, said that he wasn't a part of the ministry of God, he shouldn't be uh, talking about Jesus, and he's defending himself through 2 Corinthians, and he, and he says in this passage, key passage of the Bible, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, he gives a description of what gospel ministry is, and he starts it out with having this ministry by the mercy of of God. Paul never got over the fact that this was a gift that he did not deserve. He, he, he never got over that fact. He said this was a, what he has, his life that he is now living, it, it, it's, a, it's a mercy of God. He, he said in 1 Timothy 1.13 that, 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 that he was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent, but he received mercy. Wait, when it was Jesus on that donkey, Paul walking around wherever he was in Jerusalem, a Pharisee, he could care less. He, he, he was a blasphemer about it. He was a persecutor about it. He was absolutely rude and arrogant. He totally lacked respect about it. He would have saw Jesus on the donkey and he said, what a fool. Who cries like that in, in public? What, what a waste of time. Uh, who, who would do this? That, that's how he treated Jesus. And then he saw Jesus and he said, this was, this, this was an act of mercy. 
He was overwhelmed by the gospel. He was overwhelmed by Jesus, and his life was totally changed. Don't write off somebody at work who's rude and arrogant and belligerent about Jesus. And you talk to them, and they, 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 they seem like they could just care less. There's no interest whatsoever in it. Don't write them off. And don't be afraid to go to the most belligerent, anti-God person you know and share the gospel with them. Because that's who Paul was. And he says, when he saw the gospel, it, it, he, was, it, it, he was overwhelmed by it, and it was, a mis, it was a mercy. His description of the ministry was it, was, a, it was a mercy. But then he said, it's also very messy. He goes, the, the, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. It could mean discouraged. And there's a lot of things in ministry that discourage you. Maybe you felt that way. Why am I doing this? Nobody seems to care. It doesn't seem to make any progress. It could mean that. But it also means, what I think Paul's saying at this point is, it means that we're not shrinking back or not being cowardly. He goes, we don't lose heart. Having been given this ministry by God, we, we are not, we're not, we're not going to lose heart. We're not going to shrink back and we're not going to be cowardly, even though we know that what we are called to is messy. It, it's difficult to try to share the gospel with people, to, have, to try to see people help them grow spiritually. And, and you've experienced this probably you, in your own life. You, you, your spiritual life starts out, you're really excited about God, you're excited about Christ, and all of a sudden uh, something happens, you get blown back, and you say, I'm, I'm going to recommit my life to Christ, I'm going I'm to go for it. And you, you start going forward, and off to, off something else knocks you back down. That's life. It's also ministry, where it's just, it's just this messy thing. And Paul says, we're not going to lose heart by that. And even in those things that may cause us lots of tears, Jesus shed tears often. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And Hebrews 5, 7 says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. To him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Jesus' ministry on earth was filled with mess. People not getting it, being frustrated, his disciples arguing with each other, but who's going to be the greatest? And Jesus didn't walk through that always with this just smile, it's going to be just fine. Hebrews says Jesus walked through the mess of his ministry with tears great sobs, great tears, great sorrows, but he wasn't going to lose heart. He didn't shrink back. He, he, not, he did not become cowardly. That's gospel ministry. It's a mercy. If you're trying to reach somebody with Jesus Christ, anything you do to try to help somebody else become conformed to Christ, it's going to be messy. You're going to have great meetings with that person. And then you're going to have bad meetings with that person. There's going to be struggles and conflicts all the way. There will be tears. That's a description of gospel ministry. That, that, that's not like, well, it's hard, so I should just stop. No, we don't lose heart. We, 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 we don't shrink back. We, we don't be cowardly. It's just messy. And Paul says his description of gospel ministry is it's, it's, it's a mercy, it's messy. But then he says this. He goes, but it's not primarily, it's not just a method. 
He says, we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. He says, when it comes to his ministry, the gospel ministry, he says, it's a mercy of God that he's been given it. It's going to be messy, but it's not just this method. You don't just put some things together and then poof, that's how things go. Things, it, it's not that way. People were doing that. That's what he was getting attacked for. He even said that there are many peddlers of God's word who are going out there and just using these means. And he says, we're not going to do it. We're not going to use cunning things to try to tamper with God's word. He spoke the, the truth. Paul would just get up and say, this is what the gospel is. This is who Jesus is. This is what is needed to repent. He, he did not use cunning or conniving, which is, which is all over the place. He didn't try to manipulate people. He didn't gather people in the group and say, hey, you five people, when, when I call for a baptism at the end of the service, I want you to run up here quickly, and that'll entice other people to, to come, and then you wanna, you'll drive them. He didn't, he didn't play music right at the end to just really get your emotions tied up and say, oh, I've got to respond to some emotional feeling. All the things which churches and ministries can do, which are considered cunning, or manipulative ways to get people to hear the gospel. There was a couple of churches about five, ten years ago that in, down in Texas that they, they thought, we're, we're going to have a big Easter service. So they said, hey, come to Easter. We're passing out and we're going to give away 15 cars. There's a lot of people that showed up for that. Come to our service. Or we're gonna pass, if you're there, you have a chance to win a, win a car. People show up for that. It, it's, in, it's enticing. Paul would never do that. He said, I'm not going to use cunning or manipulative ways. That, that's not the gospel ministry. That's manipulation. That's tricks. Philip's paraphrase said it this way, that verse. He goes, we use no hocus pocus, no clever tricks, no dishonest manipulation of the word of God. Here's the problem. Paul would say, we're not going to do that. Someone said, anyone who relies on that may gain an appearance of success, but sooner or later the bottom will fall out, and they'll be left with intense feelings of depression, failure, and folly. And so will the people that followed along with it. They will say, I thought this was what ministry was. I thought this was the way it was supposed to be, and all of a sudden that all stuff doesn't last. And then they wonder, where's God? What's the situation? Paul's description of gospel ministry was it's a mercy, it's messy. It's, it's not a primarily just methods. He's not going to trick people. He's not going to use hocus pocus and clever tricks or dishonest manipulation. He's just going to tell the word of God. And the reason he did that, because he realized and understood that there was real opposition to the gospel. Why did Jesus weep over Jerusalem? Because he looked at a city that didn't listen or didn't believe all the prophets that they had heard. They didn't believe the message. And he knew that because of their refusal to believe, that a judgment was coming. So Paul gave a description of the ministry. And then Paul goes on to say, here's a de description of the human condition, verses 3 and 4. And he says, and even if, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. 
In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of how the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Because we're not going to use cunning methods to trick people with the gospel because there's real opposition of the gospel. And this is the condition of people. He goes, even if the gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. We have had, this is the condition of every human being. We're perishing. The death rate in our country is 100%. Which is why every time a tragedy takes place in our area locally, on the news all week, the tragedies that we hear, what, what do you hear from people? I, I can't believe this happened here. This, is, this just doesn't happen here. As if we are people that are not perishing. We don't want to believe that we're a people that's perishing. We don't wake up thinking about our death. We don't want to wake up thinking about it. We don't believe naturally that we are perishing, but the reality is we're perishing. That's why when bad things happen, it still shocks people. That doesn't happen here. It happens here. Because the death rate's 100%. And he says, people are perishing. William Shatner, Captain Kirk, he's 90 years old. The guy has got the best uh, facelift doctor I've ever seen. Uh, he, he looks great for 90 years old right now. Uh, and he is, uh, you know, he went to went, the Star Trek man, the Priceline guy, whatever uh, commercial he's doing right now. He's doing this thing where he is being videoed, and for the first time, they're taking all these videos of him so that you can interact with him and ask questions so that generations and years to come can sit down with William Shatner and ask him questions, and it's like you're literally talking to him. Does anybody want to do that? Why would you do that? Because you want to believe that somehow, I don't want to perish, I don't want to be forgotten. But the reality is all of us are perishing. There there is a description of the human condition that we are perishing. And not only are we perishing, it says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ. Not only are we perishing, but left to ourselves, we're not left to ourselves. Paul said that the problem is that the God of this world, Satan, the prince of the power of the air, he he has veiled and blinded people's minds. It's not just that people don't want to believe. Satan has blinded people's eyes so they can't see. They're they're veiled. And how does he do it? How has he blinded people's eyes? How how is it that the people that you live next to, the people that you work for, they they have no interest maybe in the things of spiritual life? Jesus means nothing to them. How is it that they cannot see that someone gave their life? It's because they've been blinded by Satan. And how does he do it? He, He does it with this delusion that we're all able to handle life by ourselves. And he's blind to people with that, that we can figure out life on our own, that we are self-autonomous. Or even today, that we, it's expressive individualism. You do you. Be true to yourself. Follow your heart. Find yourself. That's just what you need to do. The most honest thing that you can do is just to be true. The worst to yourself. The worst thing you can do is not to be true to yourself. Because we believe 
And because people have been blinded by Satan to believe that they can handle life by themselves, and, and they will go out on life, and they keep, it's like a bungee cord, they keep getting smacked back down. But we, they, they continue to believe that I can do it. I can handle myself. I just got to be more true to myself. And they've been blinded by Satan, the Bible says. It's the old poem, Evictus. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishment the scroll. I am the master of my fate, and I'm the captain of my soul. Where did we get that? Not by choice, the Bible says. It's, even, it's because Satan has blinded people's minds. But the reality is Jesus said, I am the way, I'm the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Left to ourselves, we all want to be God. And left to ourselves, we would remain thinking that. Unless the light of the gospel breaks in and we see that Jesus says he's the way, he's the truth, and he's the life, and no one comes to God except through him. But what's the hope then? If Satan's the one that's blinding people's eyes, and if the gospel's veiled, and the ministry's mercy, and it's messy, and it's not a method that we can just do. What's the hope then? Why, why should we continue? Therefore, Paul says, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, with ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. The hope is the donkey-riding King Jesus. That's the hope. It's not what anybody thought. All the people in Jerusalem, they expected a king to come riding in on a horse. But instead, there's this Middle Eastern guy coming in on a donkey. And the Roman authorities, had they come in and seen that and watched all the commotion and tried to figure out what was going on, they would have rode in and said, what's this all about? And they would say, hey, it's Jesus. And they would see this guy on a donkey they would scoff and say, who cares? That's not how a king comes. That's not how a king is. But that's the hope. Paul says we have to look in the right direction. He says, what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. If you've tried to reach somebody with the gospel, if you've tried to have a ministry with people, sometimes it feels in your own mind like you're just talking about a guy and a donkey. Who's, who's going to believe this stuff? Who's going to believe that Jesus is the hope for your neighbor? Who, who's going to believe that the person you work with and is so smart and he's an engineer and he's talented and he's got all kinds of degrees and he's educated, how is he going to believe that Jesus is the answer? And it feels sometimes like you're talking about some just circus show. A guy and a donkey is the answer. And Paul said, yes. We don't have to change the message he says, we proclaim not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. We just go to people as one beggar, coming to another beggar, showing, hey, this is where I found bread. This is what, we look in the right direction, and we say and see that Jesus is Lord. This is, this is it. For we proclaim not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Listen, Jesus has to be more than just a savior. Jesus is Lord. He's king. 
If you want your eyes open to have true peace, it's Jesus as Lord. Romans 10.13 says, For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Romans 10.9 says, If we confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe on your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Jesus is The hope is that Jesus is the answer and that the God of the universe said, let light shine out of darkness. And he has shown into people's hearts and gives the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So even though people are perishing and even though they have been blinded by Satan, God can pierce through that, wake people up by the light of Jesus who is the Lord. Ray Steadman was a pastor a number of years ago, and he had a man in his church had a friend, and this man was so discouraged. He was an engineer. He was distraught. He was absolutely just devastated with life. He, he was unbelievably depressed. He had no desire for the gospel whatsoever, no desire for, for Jesus. It just was like a brick wall, but he became greatly depressed, just debilitatingly depressed. He got fired from his job, his wife threatened to leave him if he didn't start getting out of the house and start doing things. He couldn't do it. He just, he just, she, she left him. He was just devastated. So eventually he was looking for some help, talked to his friend. His friend brought him over to Ray Steadman. They started to talk. And, and Ray Steadman started to read scripture to him, says, does any of this make sense? Do you, do you hear anything? Does, it, does anything sound good to you? And he goes, no. And for about two hours he talked to him and nothing. And Ray said, I, 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 don't, I don't think I can help you right now, but I'll tell you what, if you will commit to meet me every week, I'll do at least two things for you. I think there's help. I'll pray, and I'll read Scripture to you. And the guy was in such a bad situation that he said, sure, and he did it. He would come, and they would, he would pray, and he would read Scripture. And he would say to him, does this mean anything to you? And the guy would say, no. He was okay. He'd come back the next week. He'd pray and read Scripture. Did anything I read to you make sense today? No. He'd pray and he'd read Scripture. Did anything pop out? Anything exciting? Anything seem to make you feel alive? Anything? No. For weeks and weeks, this went on. Then one day he read and prayed with him, and and he said, "Did, did anything make sense to you? And he said, well, that one thing about, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done, that, that kind of means something. And Ray said, then, then you take that this week, and anytime something comes up and you think about it, you, you say it to yourself, and, and, and you, you pray, and you, you ask it to mean something to you. And they, they met weeks after weeks, nothing, nothing. But then gradually, he'd read something, and he'd say, did that, did that mean anything to you? And he goes, yeah, that, that, that means something to me. That, that, that was helpful. They'd pray. They'd come back the next week. Read more scripture. Is there anything there that meant something to you? Yeah, that, that meant something. And eventually, after almost eight months of weeks after weeks after weeks of doing this, all of a sudden, the glorious light of the gospel broke into that person. He saw Jesus for who he was. He repented of his sins, and he came to Christ. It's the power of the gospel. It's not tricks. It's not hocus-pocus. It's we proclaim not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with your servants for Jesus' sake. And so the call for us is to submit to it. Does Jesus mean anything to you? Do you want him to mean anything to you? Then ask him. 
Ask him to open your eyes. Ask him to unveil it. And if you know Jesus, serve him. Therefore, that's why we sing the song, I was blinded by my sin, had no ears to hear your voice, did not know your love within, had no taste for heaven's joys, till your spirit gave me life, opened up your word to me, through the gospel of your son, gave me endless hope and peace. You can't trick people into the gospel, but we can proclaim the gospel to people. And through that, the God of this, who created the universe can open their eyes with the glorious truth of Jesus Christ and people's lives can be proclaimed. And therefore, have you submitted to it? Do you see Jesus? And are you serving other people with the gospel of Jesus Christ?